back to North Idaho now. This episode 176 for October 25th. Chance Watson bring you the news today. This episode is brought to you by Hecla Mining Company. Hecla Mining Company is a leading low-cost silver producer with operating silver mines in Alaska, Idaho, and Mexico, and is a growing gold producer with operating mines in Quebec, Canada, and Nevada. They are the largest primary silver producer in the U.S., responsible for one-third of the silver produced in our nation. Their philosophy is to operate mines safely by promoting a deeply rooted value-based culture, leveraging mining skills developed over the company's long history, and by innovating new practices. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company, please visit heclamining.com. Com. Hey, listeners, once again, I want to remind everybody to please like, comment, and share all of our stuff on social media. Give us a follow on the North Idaho Now Facebook page and whatever podcast you're listening to us on or music apps such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Player FM, Stitcher, whatever your poison may be. Uh, please give us a subscription or a follow on there and leave a nice review. We really appreciate that kind of stuff. Uh, keeps the show going, keeps everybody happy that's involved with it. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to the show. I hope you guys had a great weekend. I certainly did. Very relaxing. A little sore after a hockey game last night, late night hockey game. Uh, hockey season's back. Definitely don't need to go into that, but uh, definitely feeling good. Uh, we've got a jam-packed show for you today, uh, including a great interview with somebody I actually took the ice with last night. Uh, Heritage Health CEO Mike Baker joins us, talks a little bit about mental health here in North Idaho and the services that Heritage Health is providing to our local residents. Uh, very excited to jump into that interview. So without further ado, here we go. Mike, thanks for coming in. Oh, of course. Thanks for having thanks me. Thanks for coming back. Now, of course. It's a great show. <laughs> awesome. Excited to be back. Absolutely. So I think uh, we need to ask the most important question here is, when did you first start playing hockey? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. I mean, that, that hockey environment's incredible. So yeah, just grew up playing, Yeah, having a blast out there. You make such great relationships with everybody. It's such a unique sport, awesome. isn't yeah. it? And that environment out there in the adult leagues is something is something else for sure no i feel like there's there's a lot of good stories to be told about that so yeah. i think of <laughs> a whole new episode right oh absolutely yeah. i think the, <laughs> the thing that i love about most about hockey is you can go out there and skate and just bash into people and and maybe even say some stuff and then once you get off the ice everything's good i know i think life should be a lot more like a hockey game i so couldn't agree true. more <laughs> i couldn't agree more okay let's let's get into to what we were actually here talking about um behavioral and mental health here in north idaho um, it has been an issue or a problem or a point of concern for quite a while. Um, and you're here to tell us some positive news on this front. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's one of those things where it, it's just been such a challenging couple years. I mean, everybody's been going through this whole new set of dynamics in their life where everything they kind of new before they're questioning you've got all this other discourse out there and i think it's spilling over and really impacting the lives of kind of everyone around us but our kids too yeah. i mean they're they're growing up in this environment where everybody's screaming and yelling at each other and that mm -hmm. kind of bully mentality seems to be taken over and i worry i worry about that you know the impact on that and as a behavioral health providers, you know, so at Heritage Health, we, we do medical, dental, mental health, substance use treatment. So we kind of do it all. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that impact and we're feeling kind of the, it's like the acuity level of these things are just going through the roof. Yeah. Like we just, we're trying to figure out how to, how to stay in front of that. And, you know, on top of all that, we've had such just phenomenal growth in our community. And yeah. I, I don't know, phenomenal is a, not using it as, hey, that's awesome, but sure. but it's here to stay. And, you know, that that's whether certain, we like it or not. Right. It's creating, <laughs> you know, a lot of concerns around that. But just infrastructure wise, yes. like we didn't scale up the number of providers from medical, dental, mental health, substance use treatment to keep up with just the growth that came in. Yeah. So that compounded with the fact that things have been really hard. I think people have more mental health issues. Um, boy, it's it's created a dynamic that we're just trying to address. And right. 
we don't have all the answers, but we have some really good news. And, you know, it's exciting to see that, you know, we're getting some traction around that. Yeah. So, you so know, tell excited us, to talk tell about that. Tell us a little about this grant. We, we recently ran a press release about it. You got right. to put something out yourself. Yeah. So we're really excited. Um, so there's been a program through the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. It's a federal department. Mm-hmm. Um, they provide these grants um, to communities to become what's called a Certified Community Behavioral Health Center. Um, Love those acronyms. I know, exactly. So it's a, it's a CCBHC, and the funding, it's a million dollars a year for four years. The wow. goal of that funding is to help us expand mental health services within our, within our community, okay. but also really forces us or gives us the opportunity to tie those services together. Mm-hmm. So to do a better job coordinating crisis services, um, just ongoing treatment, um, you know, all those different aspects from veterans care to senior care to pediatric care. I mean, all of those things, it's it's really tying it together. And so it's incredible. It's a a great opportunity. We love the partnerships that we have with the community. And this just gives us an opportunity to build it out and do a little bit more with it. So it's going to be really cool. Awesome. So do you have any details on what this money is going to go toward? Yeah. So most of the funding goes to support staffing. Okay. Um, You know, I mean, the the biggest challenge that we're facing is just trying to find therapists, Therapists, you know, to come come work with us. Is that, is it, is it more of a a money, has it been a money thing or is there just not a lot of therapists out there right now? I think it's a mix of both. I mean, you know, therapy for a long time, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's kind of been in that helping profession, and I don't know that it's it's had that that level of pay that's that it probably should be associated with it. Therapies for rich exactly, people, I can't exactly. afford that. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's definitely been a challenge. I mean, so, but uh, you know, it's like supply and demand. So, as the supply of therapists have gone down, the the wages have gone up, sure. and you know, I think that's a good thing. These guys deserve incredible. I mean, these guys do amazing work. I I actually started uh, my whole career thinking that I'd be a therapist. And, you know, I went through my internship and realized that I just I couldn't cut it. I couldn't sit in four walls and watch people not solve their problems. I'm a I got to go solve problems. So in a way, I so I left the therapy side, got my business degree and in my mind, I'm a community therapist. I have a little more control over the things that we get to do. Mm-hmm. But um, these guys are incredible. I mean, they are – they're saving lives. And it's its just a – God, it's an untold story. I mean, sure. the impact that people have because not a lot of people talk about it. Right. And uh, it's amazing to see the lives that they impact. And so uh, so they're worth it. And, you know, we we need to do everything we can to, to, to compensate folks, to encourage people to – choose that as a career mm-hmm. um, and and to go with it. So it's definitely been a shortage, but there's also been a shift in, you know, the way therapists are, are doing their work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, during COVID, there's kind of a shift back to like a telehealth model. Yeah, telehealth, yeah. And so, you know, for a lot of people, telehealth works. You, you definitely have patients and therapists talk about not being able to make that true connection sure. when you're not in person. But it's a good tool to have in the tool bag when when you can't meet in person. Right, absolutely. But a lot of people kind of set up their practices that way. Um, and so a lot of folks that, you know, typically were working within kind of our, our setting or a traditional yeah. employed model, um, you know, they they left and they're doing that and, sure. you know, good on them. Um, but we also, we need people back. Um, you know, there's a lot of administrative burden for folks when they're seeing, so we treat a lot of patients with Medicaid and there's a lot of just administrative burden that we're trying to clear the hurdles. We're working with the state to do that, but just to get people back in. I mean, if you're doing this work, you want to take care of people. You don't want to spend your whole career shuffling paperwork and looking for authorizations and stuff. So there's a lot of work to do there, but we're making some headway. Gotcha. Okay. So what is, what is the next step on that? So you, you get the therapists in, are, are you in the process of doing that right now? Yeah. So, I mean, we've been hiring therapists for the last couple of years. Okay. I, I keep telling people we're waiting. We planted these trees. We're waiting for the therapist to blossom. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, just show up in North Idaho. You think with all the growth we've had You'd that think. we'd bring in medical, dental, mental health professionals. We're not we're not seeing that. I no? don't, I don't okay. know why. Um, you know, we think some of the folks just aren't necessarily part of the workforce. Mm. Maybe they left a different state, came here. Sure. 
somewhat retired, um, but boy, we sure could use your help. So if you're <laughs> listening out there, um, boy, let's put you to work. We, we need your help. But yeah, from there, I mean, it's really, it's, it's build up the, the therapy services so we can get people in. Um, there's a couple components of mental health treatment. So you have the therapy side and then you also have a medication management side. Okay. Um, those two things go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Therapy alone sometimes doesn't create the solution that you're looking for mm-hmm. and medication alone doesn't always create that same solution. And so that tandem um, set of tools that patients can have certainly can be beneficial. And we've, we've ha- actually had incredible luck bringing in just this phenomenal talent on our psychiatric management side of yeah. it. And I mean, they are just doing incredible work. Yeah. I mean, they actually have got down to where we have reasonable wait times to get in. I mean, I think get in within one to two weeks, which wow. is just unheard of. That is pretty good. In that realm, um, they'll probably kill me for saying that. Right. Now, we really want to get people in the door and, and, you know, try to build that. And so, you know, for, you've got the staffing component of what we do. And then really it's our work over the next year is starting to tie in all of the services within the community. Mm-hmm. So how do we truly take that patient and wrap services around them so that they can be successful, okay. you know, moving forward. So it's going to be really cool to see. Yeah, it sounds like kind of developing a plan for this individual. For sure, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, that makes sense. Um, what else is going on at Heritage? Yeah, I mean, we are just trying to keep up with, <laughs> with <laughs> like everything that's happening. And, you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, you've got that growth that's happened in our community and just that lack of, I don't know if infrastructure is the right word, but we've had all of these people move in. And they need healthcare. Yeah. And, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, what, so what's our role? Say, for those who don't know, what, what is, in a nutshell, Heritage Health, where are you guys available? What do you guys, you've already talked about the services you provide. Yeah, sure. We are pretty much everywhere you live. So we have services. I mean, we have locations in all of the kind of major areas here in North Idaho. We do um, Kellogg, Rathdrum, Coeur Mm d'Alene, Post Falls. We have a clinic in St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. Um, we're spread out, you know, all through Coeur d'Alene. I, I feel like every empty title office that opens up, we turn it into a therapy mm-hmm. clinic. It just seems to be what, what's out there. Um, but we've got locations everywhere. We're trying to make it easy for folks. At all of our locations, we do, um, you know, we provide medical and, and therapy services. We have dental services in Coeur d'Alene um, and our substance use treatment also is spread out within our location. So try to make it easy for folks to get there. Okay. Absolutely. But, you know, so, so, you know, as far as what the next little bit looks like, it, it really is trying to figure out how we, how we work smarter, you know, in our work. Um, We're trying to, you know, get stuff inside. Uh, We're kind of have this dream for what we call a center for healthy living, um, we've, we've purchased a, a building in Post Falls. It's the old, the peak building mm-hmm. in Post Falls. They're building a new spot and we'll be turning that into this just incredible wow. site. It'll have wow. medical, dental, mental health, substance use treatment services. Wow. We'll have room One-stop for, shopping. Yeah, it'll be great. So a couple of years ago, we had that incredible program with the Croc Center yeah. where we were taking patients and working out with them. And yeah. we saw incredible results with that. Um, we're building space into that new facility to wow. be able to take care of folks that way, to really reimagine the way that primary care is delivered. Sure. So, you know, imagine going to your doctor and not just saying, here, take this pill, go home. And right. Well, some people think that like that's the answer, right? Sure. But we know that actually improving our health, it's fascinating what, you know, a, a game of hockey will do or a 30-minute workout Crazy. somewhere. It just it clears your head. And it, you know, really helps you live a healthier life, but also combining that with healthier eating habits. Yep. And so inside that facility, we're going to have a demonstration kitchen. We're going to teach people how to cook, really drive toward that goal that we have. I mean, our, our mission statement is to improve or is to provide hope, inspire change and extend life. And it's fascinating what happens when people have that hope that think and things can look differently. Yeah. And we show them the way to do it mm-hmm. and then they do it. Mm-hmm. And they just, I mean, their life is just so much better. Sure. So it's incredible to watch it all come together. It's got to be awesome to see those results too. It is. It's so cool. We just can't wait <laughs> to get that going. That's kind of the work I'm I'm really focused on right now is looking at just our overall facilities plan. You sure. know, how do we get one of these in the major population centers in our area? Right. And just expose people to a 
different way of thinking about healthcare. Sure. I mean, we we love our Which community partners. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, say we love our community partners. We need strong hospitals. We need other physicians in town. We can't do it all. Sure. But we're the only place in town where everything's so connected. Yeah. And it's just, I think it's something everybody should be a part of. It's a very unique thing. That's really cool. Absolutely. All right, Mike, is there anything else you want to throw in there and talk about? No, I mean, you know, I I guess I just have this plea out there to the community. Um, you know, we're all, we're all looking at the impacts of physical health and mental health during challenging times. Mm-hmm. So your body just is thrown into stress when all you hear sure. is chaos around you. Sure. And, you know, certainly we look in the news, we look in all the things that are happening in the community and just kind of a plea from like, we're like the Red Cross out there on the battlefield, right? Yeah. We we just want people to live healthy. You guys can go fight your fights, do your things. That's fine. Right, right. But at some point, you know, we, I just beg that everybody kind of takes a second look at the way that we're communicating with each other. Boy, you know, not everybody truth. has to be, not every communication has to be filled with hatred, Um you know, we don't have to fight about everything. Like at one point in our lives, you could disagree with someone and not have them be your enemy. Sure. But I just, I'm seeing that stuff spill over into the physical health and the mental health of adults and especially kids. I mean, our pediatricians are seeing this acuity level that we've never seen before. Really? And I, I think it really is coming from kids just sort of living inside the mud right now. Yeah. And that's all they hear around them. And uh, boy, I think... You know, everybody we also involved. Live in a different world too. You know, we do. Like the technology allows us to see everything, right, for better or for worse, right. You know, oh, it's like turn it off, check out, right. go do something in the woods, go play hockey, do yes. whatever. I mean, just take that time to be there for yourself. And I, I, I fear that if we don't do something like that, we're just we're going to end up in a bad spot. Yeah. And, so I don't know. That's just I try to end don't. everything I do with that that plea. Like, please, everybody, calm down. Calm down. Be nice yeah. to each other. Let's Take sort stuff out, yeah. and you know, let's build a better community, not yeah. tear it down. So. I learned a long time ago. Uh, I still, you know, it's part of my job, and I live in this community. I, I take, you know, who runs our stuff very seriously, lo- local stuff. But I unfollowed national news a long yeah. time ago. I just, you know, I know it's good to be informed, but at the same time, man, I for my own mental health i had right. to, i had to quit worrying about stuff that i couldn't control or or was not affecting me at oh, the end of the day sure. you know? yeah we all we all have this little bubble that we yeah. can influence and so I, you know i talk about that with my kids it's like okay i have a little influence over my family yep. a, you know i'm fortunate to be in a job where i have some influence over yeah. you know about 300 people that work for us and then we impact about 30,000 patients yep. and so at some point we can spread some sunshine between those groups and then they go out and spread a little sunshine within their groups. Yeah, I feel like we can we can start to make a difference. But Heritage Health, yeah. spreading sunshine. We'll get there. We like it. We'll get there. Perfect. <laughs> All right. I think that's it. Perfect. Um, Thanks Mike. for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming in. We'll, we'll see you next time. All right. Take care. Home of the lowest prices on all things outdoors since 1975, Black Sheep Sporting Goods is your one-stop shop for all your camping, fishing, hunting, and clothing needs. Open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Check out Black Sheep's new location in the Silver Lake Mall. Be sure to grab an entry form from any cashier for Black Sheep's annual Big Game event. All Big Game entries must be harvested between August 31st and December 24th, 2022. Prizes will be awarded by random drawing. Size of rack doesn't determine a winner, and the entry must meet all state and federal laws. Black Sheep Sporting Goods, award-winning selection and customer service since 1975. All right, text in to Post Falls Press headlines for Saturday, October 22nd. Headline, Floral Frenzy. This is by Devin Weeks. Colorful roses burst from cardboard boxes as Coeur Rotary Club members scurried to gather and transport bouquets Friday morning during a distribution event at the Hagedon Events Center. Quote, this is the 12th year in a row that we have broken the previous year's record, said outgoing Rotary Rose Sale Chair Lucinda Addy. Quote, last year, 1,463 dozen was the record, and I truly wondered whether we would even be able to approach that number. 
After all the pedals settled, haha, pedals settled, good pun, Addy reported that the 2022 total is 1,494 dozen roses. For a profit of nearly $57,000, that will go back into the community through various nonprofits, causes, and projects. Rotarians worked in a floral frenzy as they gathered, gathered the petaled prizes to share throughout the community for the 32nd Cordelaine Rotary Rose Sale Delivery Day. Quote, two of them are going to go to the Post Falls Senior Center. We'd like to bless them, said Post Falls Food Bank Warehouse Manager Jeff Eastwood. We just pick certain families that could use them that we think may be struggling. It could just brighten up their day, and we hand them out to some of our guests. Incoming, incoming Rotary Rose Sale Chair Kim Edmondson said despite that this year being a learning curve, the sale and distribution both went well. Quote, I'm just pleased we got everything accomplished, she said. This year's Rotary Rose Sale marks the end of the 26-year era with Addie at the helm. Addie bequeathed her cherished rose bobble headband to Edmondson. Rotary President, President Candace Godwin set, then presented Addie with an engraved vase full of roses for her service as more than two decades as rose chair, sale chair, rather. Quote, she had... She had all of this down to a fine science, Edmondson said. She is responsible for like $1 million over those years. She really is the Coeur d'Alene Rotary Queen of Roses. Oh, what a great story. And it's always something super cool. Know lots of people that uh, get, get a nice big old grin when they get a bouquet of roses. Moving on, food insecurity on the rise. This is by Kay Thornbrew. Some days, the shelves at the Community Action Partnership Food Bank are bare before closing. Quote, people come in and we don't want, don't have a whole lot for them, said Daryl Ricard, who manages the program. The food bank serves between 500 and 750 people each week, sometimes more. Ricard, who manages the program, said he's seeing more and more new faces. Other food banks are experiencing similar increases. Ricard contributes this large, uh, this largely to the rising costs of food, gas, and housing. For many, finances are tighter than they've ever been. Yeah, I definitely understand that. Quote, we're here for the people who are having trouble making ends meet, he said. But the long stretch between summer and the winter holidays is a time when dona donations dip. Perishable food donated by local stores, for which Ricard is grateful, usually lasts a day and a half at most. The food bank is critically low on non-perishable food items. Quote, we give almost everything away we have, Ricard said. More than 16,000 Kootenai County residents faced food insecurity, according to the most recent Map the Meal Gap report from Feeding America, which is based on 2020 data. That's about 10% of the county's population, including children. Statewide, almost 9% of Idahoans, more than 152,000 people, don't have consistent access to enough food to live an active, healthy life. Food insecurity can be a temporary situation or can last a long time. Many of those who use the Community Action Partnership Food Bank are elderly people on fixed incomes who, can, who come weekly. Some are families with children. Others are working people who have a tough month and need a little help to make it until they get paid again. Well, or your, or your rent takes up most of your paycheck. Quote, maybe they have decided whether to buy gas or food, Ricard said. We want to take that decision away from them. Buy the gas, let us provide the food. The food bank is open from 9 a.m. to 3.45 p.m. Monday through Friday. There's no need to make an appointment or bring anything. Community Action Partnership has food banks in Boundary, Kootenai, Shoshone, Benawa, and Nez Perce counties. The nonprofit also provides family coaching, job coaching, and other resources to help bring people out of poverty. Quote, the food bank is just one of those items, Ricard said. If people are having problems with their heating bill, they need to call us. For more information, visit www.capcap4actionaction.org. Initial success or total failure? Mad Bomber Brewing Company, located at 9265 North Government Way in Hayden, Idaho, is a veteran-owned and operated business that has been serving North Idaho since 2013. Check out the Pressed Sandwich and Waffle Food Trailer 208 Press on Open Mic Night Wednesdays. Mad Bomber Brewing also offers a wide selection of ciders for those who may not want beer. I have heard that the uh, much-acclaimed Pumpkin Spice Cider is coming on tap here soon. Located near Triple Play, come by and mention the podcast when you order to receive $1 off your first beer. Mad Bomber Brewing, recklessly brewed in Hayden, Idaho. Takes into Monday, October 24th headlines. NIC to celebrate expanded buildings. 
North Idaho College is hosting an open house to celebrate recently expanded and renovated buildings on campus. The public is invited to attend and tour the expansion of the Meyer Health and Sciences Building and the grand opening of the Dental Hygiene Clinic at Winton Hall from 4 to 7 p.m. Thursday, October 27th on NIC's main campus in Coeur d'Alene. Two days away, folks. A ribbon-cutting ceremony is scheduled for 4.30 p.m. at Winton Hall, and both the Meyer Building and Winton Hall will be opening through 7 p.m. The event is free and open to the public. Students, and fac- students, faculty, and staff will showcase NIC's program services throughout the Meyer Building with interactive informational booths and demonstrations that illustrate what NIC offers its students and the North Idaho community. Participating departments and offices include more than a dozen instructional programs, several campus and community resources, including the Molstead Library, Outdoor Pursuits, the Student Wellness and Recreation Center, and NIC Student Services Cardinal Center and TRIO Student Support Services. Representatives from the Associated Students of NIC, NIC Alumni Relations, NIC Athletics, Parker Technical Education Center, and the NIC Workforce Training Center will also showcase their programs at the open house. The expansion to the Meyer Building includes faculty offices, health science labs, Zoom-equipped classrooms, meeting rooms, study spaces, and storage areas. NIC funded the 20,000-square-foot addition to the existing building to accommodate the growing need for health professions and science programs. Winton Hall is now home to a fully equipped professional dental clinic that is staffed by NIC students with faculty and volunteer mentors from the local dental industry. The building, which is which used to house faculty offices, exercise rooms, and classrooms, was remodeled in 2022. NIC President Nick Swain said the open house event is not only an opportunity to celebrate new spaces, but also a time for the larger NIC community to come together. Quote, we haven't been able to invite the public on ca- onto campuses for some time, so we thought it would be a wonderful opportunity to share the new fac- uh, facilities and let members of the community see all the wonderful resources we have for them. Parking for the open house will be available on campus. No parking permits are required. For more information, contact NIC Communications Manager Megan Snoddengrass at 208-665-2759 or megan.snoddengrass, that's S-N-O-D-G-R-A-S-S, at nic.edu. Moving on, designs want designs wanted for come together bench project. This is by the press staff. The city's arts commission in Hayden is seeking artist designs ideas for a series of benches that will be placed in Hayden's central business district along Government Way and Hayden Avenue. Quote the project named Come Together seeks to install artistically designed Hayden-centric benches while providing eye-pleasing and practical spaces to sit, said a news release announcing the project. The project budget anticipates a cost per bench of $5,000, which will cover the design, fabrication, and installation. Each bench will be paid for by the private community sponsorship and donations, the release said. The commission's criteria for the benches calls for them to be comfortable and able to seat three adults and appropriate for family and general community viewing and use. The benches cannot pose a risk of injury to the public. Boy, I would hope so. They must be resistant to being vandalized and resistant to North Idaho weather, with no maintenance required for 20 years. The benches cannot, quote, create an environment cha- environmental challenge for residents or extremely loud, uh, distracting to traffic. Artists should submit design concepts by email to clerk, that's C-L-E-R-K, at cityofhaydenid.us. Submissions should include a written portion as one document in PDF format and the visual documentation as separate digital files with a cover page, artist statement, biography, and concept drawing or renderings of the proposed work. The deadline to submit bench designs is December 30th. All right, artists, get those designs in. We need some cool benches out in Hayden. Moving on, Tuesday, October 25th, STR sides line up. This is by Bill Bealey. Eric and Catherine Mack sacrificed, saved, and worked hard to buy a second home in downtown Coeur d'Alene that they use as a short-term rental. They said the revenue it generates allows them to take care of their family and maintain a middle-class lifestyle, so the possibility that the city might adopt stricter regulations on short-term rentals or STRs, perhaps even using a lottery system to determine who gets a permit for one, didn't sit well with them. Quote, this hurts me and it's hurting other people like me, Eric Mack said Monday. Catherine Mack said the loss of the STR income would be an economic blow that should not happen. Quote, if we live here, it seems right we should be able to do to own and operate an STR. 
STR, she said. Jim Miller of Sky Harbor Drive said another view. He had he said there are several STRs near his home and it hasn't been positive. Quote, this has been quite an issue for us as far as noise, parking, and trash are concerned, he said. Miller said some visitors renting SDRs aren't concerned about the viability of neighborhoods, nor do they have consideration for local residents. The house across from him had about 20 people there at one time. He said to alleviate problems with STRs, the city should require off-street parking, limit occupancy numbers, establish a fine process for non-compliance with noise abatement, and hire an enforcement officer. Those were just two of the testimonies offered during a joint three-hour workshop of the City of Coeur d'Alene and the Planning Commission on the city short-term rental code. About 100 people packed the library community room. The community, the city's STR codes were adopted in 2017 and have largely gone unenforced. In the past few months, city officials have discussed tougher regulations on STRs, which are rising in number. The city has about 450 permitted STRs and an estimated 700 or so unpermitted. The city reported 22,000 residential units, which means about 4% of housing stock is used as STRs. There are areas like Sanders Beach that have multiple STRs on one block, which results in a deterioration of community character and loss of neighborhood integrity, a city report said. Staff evaluated the number of STR permits in neighborhoods throughout the city and determined that that the concentration of STRs in many neighborhoods is too high, the report said. About 30 people spoke at the workshop. Many were STR owners, real estate agents, and property managers who cited the positive economic impact of tourists spending money at local businesses, creating jobs, and allowing residents to use their property in a legal way to provide income. But many residents said STRs are negative. They said they hurt neighborhood integrity, reduce long-term rentals needed by local blue-collar workers, hog street parking, and even open doors for a criminal element. Well, I can see... I can... I can see half of those points. According to a city report, quote, the short-term rental ordinance shouldn't be about finding and maintaining balance while protecting private property rights and quiet enjoyment of properties and preserving neighborhood integrity and community character. The report said locals, quote, brought bought an ex- ex- brought with an expectation that the neighborhood would remain intact and that their investment would be preserved. Proposed code amendments for consideration include a 300-foot buffer between short-term rentals with a lottery system, which could utilize a point system to determine who gets the permit within the buffer area, use an STR monitoring compliance company, an inspection for at least the five first year by a city employee or contractor, and have a requirement to provide proof of liability insurance for $1 million. No decisions were made, and there were there will be future opportunities for public input as the city considers its STR codes. Planning Commissioner Lynn Fleming said Venice is an example of what happens when everything turns into rentals. There it has squeezed out everyone but the old, retired, and wealthy. She said there is no life, no little kids, no actual neighborhoods. Quote, it's a walking museum, she said, when you turn over your beloved city to those you don't know. Councilman Dan Gookin said Coeur d'Alene is great, quote, because we are a community. We have to do something to save the neighborhood. Neighborhoods, he said. Yeah, I can, uh, can definitely, I can see both sides on this, but uh, maybe I'm leaning more toward being a homer here. Uh, I can definitely see how, uh, you know, as somebody who struggles to find rent himself, uh, affordable rent, that is, uh, I can definitely see how having short-term rentals can, can, it's just one other thing that, that drives up the prices and makes it harder to live in the area. Moving on, NIC trustees approve property purchase. This is by Kay Thornbrew. NIC college trustees voted 3-2 on Monday night to approve a $620,000 purchase of a residential home on Military Drive as part of the college's long-range planning efforts. The home is located at 737 North Military Drive. Interim Finance Director Sarah Garcia told trustees Monday that the seller, which county property tax records indicate is John Worrell, W-O-R-R-E-L-L, approached the college with an offer to sell. By law, a public entity in Idaho cannot pay more than the appraised value of a property. Lakeside Appraisals valued the home in August at $620,000. Trustees Todd Banducci and Greg McKenzie opposed the purchase. Quote, we recently had a property purchase that came under a lot of scrutiny, Banducci said, referring to the $1 million purchase of the Fort Ground Grill in July. Banducci and McKenzie also voted against that purchase. 
Garcia said she came to the standpoint of the September board meeting, rather, prepared to discuss the matter in executive session. However, trustees did not enter executive session. For years, the college has endeavored to purchase properties that are contiguous or within the main campus area as they become available. With this purchase, NIC will own half of the 16 homes on Military Drive, Garcia said. There are no immediate plans for the home, but if the college obtains the remaining homes, Garcia indicated that the street could function as part of the campus and the homes that could be used for student or staff housing. During Monday's meeting, Dean of Enrollment Services Tammy Half uh, Haft also informed trustees that NIC's enrollment is down 6.2% and full-time equivalency is down 7.2. The current headcount at NIC is 4,299. Enrollment for academic and career and technical education programs are down, Haft said, as well as for non-degree students, dual credit enrollment has increased. Haft said more information will be available in November. Andy's Heating and Cooling has been selling and installing furnaces, air conditioners, fireplaces, barbecues, and much more in new and existing homes since 1972. Fifty years later, Andy's Heating and Cooling is still doing business the old-fashioned way with a handshake. Come and visit Andy's showroom at 7800 North Government Way in Coeur d'Alene, which features all the latest wood-fired stoves, pellet stoves, and gas stoves from Quadrifier, Heatilator, and Heat and Glow. Andy's also carries the big green egg smokers and grills. Call them today at 208-772-4570. Takes into Bonner County Daily Bee headlines for Saturday, October 23rd. Headline planned outages set in Bayview area. Approximately 153 of Vista Electric customers in Bayview and the surrounding area are to experience a pair of planned power outages on Tuesday, October 25th today and Wednesday, October 26th. The planned outages will occur at 9 a.m. and at 3 p.m. each day. Impacted customers will be notified during this time. Vista will be upgrading equipment in the area. The planned work will increase reliability and reduce future outages. No road closures are expected during this time. Vista customer service representatives have a variety of resources and information available to aid customers in need. Customers who have questions or concerns can contact Vista at 800-227-9187 for assistance and reference outage numbers 1352729. Moving on, Zoning Commission gives nod to Rural Service Center. This by Daniel Radford. In a packed conference room, about 40 people from the Sangle and Priest River areas came out against a proposed spot zone for a rural service center. Landowners Sean and Laura Hammond applied to change the zoning from rural 5-acre to rural service center. The RSC zoning exists to allow selective industry in rural areas without inadvertently causing overdevelopment. The intended use, should be the zone change be affirmed by the elected Board of, uh, board of Commissioners, would be for small-scale commercial services, including the sale of fuel, food, and miscellaneous items. The parcel is 11 acres and abuts a recreational zone to the north. In the application narrative prepared by Whiskey Rock Planning and Consulting, the applicant argued that the growth in the area, especially in the nearby Willow Bay area, merits a convenience store and gas station. Whiskey Rock's Jeremy Grimm, who helped prepare the application, pointed out at the meeting that the nearest gas station for, from that parcel was either 12 miles east or 9 miles west. Grimm mentioned, quote, rural service centers that have been located near small resorts or recreational locations in rural areas, citing locations in Blanchard, Priest Lake, and Clark Fork. Among concerns raised by those present were increased traffic, increased crime, noise, and smell concerns, and the rural county road, country road, rather, character of the scenic area accessed by the two-lane road. A county staff report found that the proposal to be in line with the objectives and policies of the comprehensive plan and permissible under county code. Larry Munson, who spoke in favor of the proposal, relayed the story of an emergency at his property about a half mile north in the resort community. Someone with a bee allergy was stung, and due to rural nature of where he lives, getting an uh, antihistamine would have taken an hour to drive to and from another service center. In the application narrative, Whiskey Rock officials said they do not expect to induce traffic, but rather to catch already existing passers-by. Since residents and recreators would have would not have to drive to Kokolala uh, or to Priest River to get essentials, they anticipate traffic load on Dufert will decline. The three-hour meeting saw two hours of comment against the application, which was ultimately recommended by for approval by the Zoning Commission. Concerns about light and other pollution were brought up by several speakers, including Sandy Spalling, the sharp curve, how normal speeding is, and more traffic were all brought up. Quote, 
Who are we trying to please here, she said. The tourists, or are we trying to help out the residents? I see this as something for people coming through. Despite the concerns, the Zoning Commission voted unanimously to recommend the approval of the zone change to the Bonner County Board of Commissioners, finding that while not a, quote, neighborhood commercial, resort, community, or transition area, the parcel can still be legally rezoned as rural. Uh, rural service center. The rezone request is expected to go before county commissioners within the month. What is your relationship status with your bank? It's time to go steady with Bank CDA. You want local, you want flexible, you want Bank CDA. To learn more, please visit bankcda.com. Moves into Sunday, October 24th headlines. Former LPOHS student pays it forward. This is by Carolyn Lobsinger. Each time he drives past Lake Ponderay High School, Jimmy Winand has noticed the wood stacked outside during the fall. A former student, he wanted to do something to help the school, which gave him so much during his years there. So when he noticed longtime teacher Randy Wilhelm outside in the greenhouse this past spring, he stopped to talk and pitched an idea. Let him buy the wood. It is, he later told the Daily Bee, a way he could thank the school and its staff for all they did for him. At the time... Winan said he didn't necessarily realize how much of a resource the school was for him and the other students. However, looking back, he said he realizes all that the staff did to set them up for the future. Quote, the kind of, the kind of people that they are there, that they have there, they just deserve some extra help themselves because they're really great, he added. When you're there as a troubled youth, you don't ever realize that it's such a good resource, so it's just good to get sort of, you know, pay it forward when you're in a better position in your life. Wynand said LPO's hands-on approach and individualized attention made all the difference for him, so when he saw a chance to give back, he said he knew he had to take it. As for Wilhelm, the LPO teacher said he'd almost forgotten the conversation with Wynand until he stopped by the school in August and saw the neatly stacked wood. Then he remembered what Wynand had told him and that his former student was serious about wanting to help. Quote, he was like, I'm buying the wood, Wilhelm said, recalling the spring conversation. So he actually bought it from someone that sells firewood. He built that whole contraption out there. He delivered it. All that is him. Wilhelm said that he was humbled by Winan's donation and for him wanting to help LPO students as others had helped him. Quote, this firewood is a gold standard of firewood, he said, adding Winan's generosity is truly appreciated by the school, the staff, and the students. Reconnecting with students like Winand, who they who they said truly represent what the school is all about, and knowing they made a difference means the world, LPO officials said. Money raised through the raffle goes for any number of senior class needs as well as a class trip. It also helps cover the cost of a community meal the students put on to thank the community for their support, Wilhelm and Wilson said. Money has also offset the cost of caps and gowns for graduation, graduation announcements, gifts for graduating, seniors, and more. The drawing takes place, quote, around the 1st of November, Wilhelm said. Quote, We've always, we always say it's close but to, but not quite the first snowfall, he added, but we've dug the wood out of the snow pile more times than I wanted to. Two raffle tickets will be drawn for the red fur and tamarack wood, giving two households a chance to win. Tickets are $5 each or 5 for $20. Those interested in purchasing tickets can call LPO at 208-263-6121 or stop by the school at 1005 North Boyer Avenue. Takes into Tuesday, October 25th headlines. Local dispatcher gets state award. This is by Daniel Radford. Amber Lindsay originally wanted to be a police officer. An injury derailed those plans, prompting her to switch her plans to dentistry. It was then a friend told her about a position at the Bonner County Dispatch. Lindsay, then 20, got the job where she had been for the last 13 years. 13 years later, it seems to be working out. Last week, Lindsay received the prestigious Public Safety Communications Director of the Year Award from Idaho Association of Public Safety Communica- uh, Communications Officials. A Priest River High School graduate, Lindsay attended North Idaho College and, Sp- and Spokane's Apollo College. It was there she studied to become a police officer before a knee injury led to her change in fields. 
Then on a whim, she applied for a local dispatching job and has worked her way up the ranks, earning the title of operations manager and most recently, APCO's yearly award. Lindsay was surprised when she heard the news about the award for a few days before APCO's yearly conference. Quote, never in a million years did I think I would ever get this award, she said. She dedicated the, the, dedicated the award to her amazing staff, who she said are, quote, the heroes who make my job so easy. In an email announcing the award, she was told, told to be there Wednesday and was asked for a short biography. Lindsay received three nominations for the award, two for her st- from her staff and another from someone else. In a social media post celebrating Lindsay's award, Bonner County Sheriff Daryl Wheeler said the longtime operations manager was recognized for superior leadership and for going above and beyond when is ne- what is needed. Over the past year, Wheeler said Bonner County 911 has seen increased calls and radio traffic as well as, quote, extreme staffing shortages. Quote, thank you, Amber for your continuing dedication to the Bonner County Sheriff's Office, the citizens of Bonner County, and our many visitors, he said in the post. Congratulations. That's definitely a difficult job. I've got many friends that are that are in that profession. Definitely not for the faint of the heart. Definitely first responders in my book. Moving on, new trial delayed in murder case. This is by Daniel Radford. A second-degree murder case was delayed Monday after both the prosecution and defense indicated that they were not yet ready to proceed to trial. Judge Barbara Buchanan agreed to delay and set a new trial date for March 2023. Michael Ryan McDermott, 51, was scheduled to go to trial Monday in the shooting death of Robert Cameron Hegseth Wohali in March of 2019. McDermott also has been charged with failing to notify authorities of Hegseth Wohali's death in an attempt to conceal the crime. The state has argued that McDermott shot Hegseth Wohali in a fit of jealous rage after discovering his former girlfriend had restarted a relationship with the man. McDermott has denied that allegation, telling jurors in an October 2019 trial he was more disappointed that his former girlfriend had taken up with the somebody she claimed had previous beaten her and made her feel unsafe. The state said McDermott initially denied involvement in the man's disappearance and death, but later told investigators he shot Hegseth Wahali in self-defense during a physical altercation. Testimony at his murder trial suggested Hegseth Wahali and McDermott were rivals for the romantic affections of the woman who lived in the RV. The killing may also have been fueled by McDermott's use of methamphetamine, according to trial testimony. Ah, yes, well... When you throw drugs into the mix, I suppose anything can be possible. Usually not smart decisions, but yeah. However, the Idaho Supreme Court overturned the pair of charges against the Sagal man, agreeing that with McDermott's contention that his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination had been violated, McDermott's defense claimed that the man's chances of a fair conviction were deprived based on the jury's instructions regarding the definition of self-defense. The high court upheld the defense's argument, sending the case back to First District Court. All right, we'll continue to follow that as it goes along. The America's gold and silver-owned Galena Mine in Wallace, Idaho, is currently accepting applications for a variety of positions both above and underground. America's gold and silver offers competitive wages, a full employee benefits package, which includes medical, dental, vision, life, and disability insurance, PTO, 401k, and a pension plan. To apply for the many open positions at the Galena Mine, visit www.americasgold.com forward slash careers. That takes us into Shoshone News Press headlines for Tuesday, October 25th to round out the show. Headline, Big News for 6th Street Bridge. This by Josh McDonald. It's a good news, bad news situation for Wallace's 6th Street Bridge, or at least that was the way it was presented to the Wallace City Council last week. The bridge, which allows access from downtown Wallace to Nine Mile Canyon and Dobson Pass, has been under weight restrictions for nearly five years and has been the home of a temporary bridge over the top of it for almost four. Yeah, it's been there forever. Over the years, several plans have been made to repair the bridge, but for whatever reason, busy construction seasons, funding opportunities, a global pandemic, take your pick, the project date has never been stuck. The good news is the Idaho Transportation Department and the local Highway Technical Assistance Council said they could have the bridge built in the coming year. The project is expected to cost around $1.8 million, but due to different matching programs from the state and federal governments as well as other entities, but by the project's end, Wallace may actually pocket some money. The bad news, however, is that it's going to require some upfront costs to the city that they weren't planning for. According to city engineer Jim Rilletto, after all of those different grants, matches, and other funds, Wallace was looking at a $12,000 bill on a $1.8 million project. 
Due to some missed timing, one of the pots of money they were expecting to utilize to get down to this $12,000 dried up, leaving a remaining balance to the city of roughly $54,000, give or take a few. In order to get the project moving, that $54,000 needs to be paid up front before any of the work will begin. Remember, that's, a, that's bad news. To revisit the good news part of this, Roletto explained how the city might be in a position to pony up the upfront costs and still come out ahead. As part of Idaho Governor Brad Little's leading Idaho plan, several bridge projects have been chosen to receive full funding, including the aforementioned Bullion Creek Project in the Moon Pass region of Shoshone County. Quote, LTAC, the group funding the project, very much hopes you guys move forward with this and is going to guarantee that payment through Shoshone, Roletto told the council. Roletto anticipates that the city could make at least $75,000 by selling the county the temporary bridge, but believes that the amount could be even higher as the prices on everything right now continue to rise. Quote, $75,000 is a low estimate by me, Roletto said. I bid on a bridge down in Benoit County recently similar to this one that went for $110,000. Ours is a couple of years old. Should the market com- uh, market value continue to rise, the city could ask for a larger number, and if agreement is struck, then LTAC has committed to covering the bill. The city has already committed $7,000 to the project, so they'll need the other uh, $47,000 to get the project rolling. Once that checks, it check is in the proper hands, the project will go out for bid. Roletto has made a prior commitment to Wallace Mayor Lynn Mogensen that the bridge would cost the city nothing, and if they sell off the temporary bridge, not only would they have kept good on his promise, but the city would have made some money. Roletto anticipates that if the project gets put back up for bid next month, there is a strong possibility that the project can begin in the spring of 2023, weather permitting. Once the project is completed, the temporary bridge can be sold. Yeah, it's been been like that for quite a while it's kind of hard for me to remember the last time that that temporary bridge wasn't there moving on cutting the ribbon at lions park this is by molly roberts the lions park in osborne is officially open to be played upon lions park playground committee lppcc members and sponsors gathered and excitedly cut the red ribbon during a grand opening re uh, grand reopening celebration on friday afternoon Big names and important faces showed up for the celebration as Shoshone County Commissioners Jay Huber and John Hansen joined Osborne Mayor Kip McGilvery, as well as representation from Mountain West Bank, Dave Smith, and Avista, who have all been park sponsors. Due to weather conditions, the festivities originally scheduled for the grand opening were pushed to the spring, which will only continue the celebration of the hard work that has been put in by members of the community. LPPC, with Jenna Grant Arthun at the forefront, has transformed the park with playground equipment from Play Creation, which was built by community volunteers in September, including new colorful swings, slides, monkey bars, and climbing uh, climbing structures. Osborne Library Director Jamie Sperry also unveiled the free little library and filled it with books for readers of all ages. Community members can take and contribute books to keep the library stocked and versatile. The park will be eventually feature a fitness court to be installed in the spring of 2023. The fitness court is a Silver Valley Economic Development Corporation project with Director Paige Olson, who is also on the LPPC. The court was fully funded by donors and August National Fitness Campaign Grant. The overall mission of the National Fitness Campaign is to bring free fitness everywhere. The court has uh, shock-resistant sports flooring, which allows up to 28 people to exercise on it. This will be the second fitness court installed in the Silver Valley, joining the existing facility in Smelterville by the SMC Family Medicine. I definitely put some hours into that outdoor court out there, uh, getting getting a good sweat in during the, uh, the summer months. Once again, we'd like to thank Hecla Mining Company for sponsoring this episode. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company, please visit HeclaMining.com. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening into the show. Once again, please subscribe, like, or follow us on any podcatcher or music app that you listen to us on, and leave a nice review if that is a possibility on that app. All right, everybody. Thanks again, and we'll see you on Friday.